God calls us all to a particular vocation, sometimes it's difficult to discern. For the next hour, Father Stephen DeLacy, Director of Vocations for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, will discuss the unique calling to the priesthood and religious life. And now here is your host for the Vocation Hour, Father Stephen DeLacy. All right, hello friends. This is the Vocation Hour. I'm Father DeLacy, the host of the show. You're in for a great treat today with uh, two awesome seminarians who are uh, give, going to give their vocation story and uh, and what a, 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 a dynamic time we live in with a, with just so many kind of factors in in the world today like the craziness of our politics, uh, the pandemic, uh, so many things. The the amount of social unrest. We're, we're recording this in the in the beginning of October. This uh, this radio show, but uh, uh, lots to pray about. But the the good news is where you know St. Paul talks about how where uh, you know where sin abounds grace abounds all the more and i would say the same thing holds when when there's when there's troubles and challenges it's when God is the most active. And so at some level, we look around the world and we, we're aware of all the anxieties that we have and the challenges that we have. Um, but we also need to recognize the God piece of all this too, that that when, when we tend to be afraid of things, when we tend to be anxious of things, that's when God is showing up the most. So God is so present to all of us. So just to hear those good, you know, good, the good news about how awesome our God is, and how loving our God is in the midst of this time. It's so important to cling to that. Uh, you know, we're in the midst of November here, as as you're hearing this the show. We're also in the midst of Vocation Awareness Week. So uh, we, we're at the end of it right now. So we, we thank you for all the ways that you've been praying for vocations, inviting vocations, fostering vocations, supporting vocations. Uh, the good news is the vocations are out there, and we just need to be continued to be bold in our, our proclamation of this. One vocation that we all share, because remember, a vocation is a call that comes from God, and we all have multiple vocations in reality. You know, a lot of times we focus on what somebody's primary vocation they're called to, whether it's the priesthood or religious life or the married life or so forth. You know, that's a primary vocation, but then within all of our vocations, there's particular vocations that God gives to each and every one of us. So we should all be very aware of what particular mission does God has God set on my heart. For many people, the particular one of the particular missions they're given is to pray for the holy souls in purgatory. You know, we, 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 November is considered the, the month of the Holy Souls. We celebrate the Feast of Holy Souls, uh, of all, all Souls Day on, on November 2nd. And really the reality is the souls in purgatory um, are not ready for heaven. There's something that's, that's kind of keeping them rooted either in, in sin or selfishness or, or on earth. There's some type of attachment that they need by God's grace and love to be purged from so that they can enter into the the communion of love that is heaven. The good, very good news is every single soul that's in purgatory is saved. So they, they've already, you know, our Lord's victory for their salvation has fully been applied to them. And then just whatever repentance and transformation that, that didn't take place on earth that to make them saints, because that's all of our vocation, the universal call to holiness is that we're all called to be saints, and we're supposed to be working on that very intensely now in this life, right? And and so we have to be careful, right, that we're, we're, we're repenting and we're cooperating with God's grace because hell's a real reality, right, that we want to avoid at all costs. And then the good news is if, if we're not perfect, if we're not 100% ready for heaven, God's mercy is that he has given us 
the grace of purgatory. But that's a you know that's for those that have been cooperating with God's grace, that die in the state of grace, and that are are you know are seeking God's will above all things. And so you know let's continue to pray for each other that we all become saints. But talking about this particular mission for for the souls in purgatory, one of the humbled positions that they're in. And that humility, you know, the, of, of this position, it's undoing the pride that leads to all of our sins. So the souls of purgatory, most of them are probably working through some pride at some level. So God puts them in a very humble position that they are relying entirely on the prayers of the church on earth in order for them to experience the, the fullness of the final reward in heaven. There's a joyfulness in purgatory, but there's a painfulness too, because you're being purged of your sin, but you know that you're saved, and that some of us on earth have a very particular mission. You know, And I would say all of us have a mission to, to pray for the holy souls of purgatory. Some of us are meant to do so with great intentionality. And if we do so, two, two reflections on this. When they are, when as a result of our praying for them, if they end up in heaven, then they're going to be saints that are going to be keeping us particularly in mind and praying for us in a particular way. So it's good that you know to be a little bit spiritually selfish. I'm saying that in air quotes, where we uh, where we accumulate as many saints in heaven praying for us as possible. One easy way to do that is if we're helping the souls in purgatory to get to heaven, then they're going to be saints that are on our side, and that's going to bring great powerful blessings to us. Um, and a second consideration, our enthusiastic engagement of our vocation on earth will produce people that will be living out the faith in a fuller way. Parents that are raising up their kids to be fully living out the faith will have, you know, and, and that they're good and holy. You know, somebody that becomes a priest and, and sharing the faith and spiritual fatherhood for many people. People that are, are holy singles that are devoting their lives to the church, especially evangelization and catechesis. The more souls that we help to become holy on earth and teaching them to pray, teaching them to be disciples, giving them the sense of missionary discipleship, that has a huge benefit for when we die the f one of the fruits of our labor is the number of people who will be praying for us while we're in purgatory. So at one level, we also want to be spiritually selfish in acquiring as many saints on earth, you know, by, by evangelizing, by, by mentoring, by, by helping to, to disciple uh, as missionary disciples as many people on earth so that when our time is up and we're in purgatory, We'll have a, a group of people because of the impact of our lives who are our prayers. And so it can be hard, I would imagine, for somebody who never helped to work to spread the faith and, and didn't make those connections that when they're in purgatory, well, they're, they're going to spend more time in purgatory because they may have less people who are intentionally praying for them. And so I, I guess one of the themes of this show is, you know, how to be spiritually greedy. No, I'm kidding. That's not maybe the, the best thing and that type of thing. But, but it does pay dividends, right? These relationships are real and they last. And so as you're considering your vocation, be inspired by this notion of, of, of purgatory and, and, and be generous in praying for those who are in purgatory. Then they're going to be saints praying for you. 
And as you get more saints praying for you, you're going to have more grace available to you to respond to your vocation. It'll make your vocation more impactful, which will result in more souls praying for you at the time that you die. Um, and that will, 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 will accelerate your time in purgatory in a powerful and very dynamic way. And certainly we know a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters don't believe in purgatory, so they're not necessarily praying for their awesome people that, that are in purgatory, so that falls to us to pray for our, our Protestant brethren who know Christ and have, you know, God willing have received salvation, and our Muslim brothers and sisters and Jewish brothers and sisters. None of these people necessarily know about purgatory, and so one really powerful work of mercy is for us to pray for the holy souls in purgatory. And so just you'll know, be open to this as a particular mission that God may be asking you in a particular way to be zealous, right? And many people are homebound and they're like, I can't do anything for the church. Not true at all. You can do great things for the church, especially for praying for the holy souls in purgatory. Well, I'm Father DeLisi, and you're listening to the Vocation Hour. We're in the midst of Vocation Awareness Week and, and just a lot of good things. So we have uh, two wonderful seminarians um, who are, um, are are in pre-theology now. Uh, they also work on the vocation apostolate. So I'm, I'm, I'm very you know honored to have them here on the show. Uh, so we have both Charlie and Sam. So why don't you guys just first introduce yourselves in terms of what parish do you come from, what's your family makeup, where have you been to school, and, and that type of thing. So why don't we go, Charlie, why don't you introduce yourself first? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Father. Uh, so my name is Charlie Capelli. Uh, my home parish is Our Lady Mount Carmel in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Um, I went to Central Bucks West High School, and then I attended Temple University. Um, and it was a temple that uh, I really got involved at the Newman Center and with a group there called Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Uh, so after my time at Temple, I worked for uh, four years for Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And, uh, and then entered seminary last year for the spiritual year. Um, I have two younger brothers, uh, wonderful parents who are active at Mount Carmel. And uh, yeah, it's a blessing to be here. Thank you. And how many of your brothers do you actually love? <laughs> Both my brothers. Okay, 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 brothers. Good, good, okay. Just asking. <laughs> Just asking. Okay, fair enough. Okay, great. And then, uh, Sam, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Father. My name is Sam Dugan. Um, I'm from uh, St. Agnes Parish in Westchester. Um, I'm from a family of six kids. I have uh, two older brother, or sorry, two older sisters and three younger brothers. Um, so I'm kind of in the middle there. Um, I went to high school at Silesianum School in, in Wilmington, um, and then after that, I originally started out in college at Clemson University down in South Carolina, um, studying economics, and then I transferred about halfway through and finished up college at Westchester University. Um, and ended up majoring in philosophy. And then right after I graduated, which was um, August of, uh, I guess about a year and a half, a little over a year ago now, um, I entered into seminary right after then, right after graduating. Great, great. And both, uh, both are awesome, uh, awesome people here. Um, and, and both parishes have been producers of vocations. St. Agnes has the distinction of being the most consistent producer of vocations in the archdiocese. I'm the only one in the entire archdiocese that's trying to create a rivalry with the other St. Agnes Parish, St. Agnes <laughs> in Sellersville, who also has become, you know, you know, a, a similarly a great producer of vocations. Maybe maybe a, a half a step behind St. Agnes in Westchester for priestly vocations, but St. Agnes in Sellersville 
is going gangbusters as well in producing religious vocations, especially women religious. So they're they're neck and neck, and so I think our answer just simply is just naming parishes more parishes St. Agnes. <laughs> uh, but uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel also has been a, a great producer of vocations and and in the past and the, and between having you there, Charlie, and now a new pastor and a new assistant priest there who are dynamic. I'm I'm, I'm expecting great things from that parish. So I'm I'm laying down I'm laying down the challenge. I'm I'm expecting. Um, from that parish, uh, one vocation a year. <laughs> so, so no, no pressure, no pressure. We'll but, see what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's great. Well, you know, as as our listeners are, are accustomed to, uh, you know, we tend to hear. And and oh, a quick question, Sam. You mentioned a, a, an enthusiastic am- amount of uh, siblings, which is great. How many of them do you love? <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of them. All of them. I I, uh, I was on the fence with a couple for a while, you know, but. <laughs> I've been converted, so. Oh, good news. Good <laughs> no, no, yeah, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. That is great. So, well, anyway, as our listeners are accustomed to, um, you know, if you guys want to share your vocation stories, and Sam, why don't we start with you first? Um, and then, you know, just kind of maybe perhaps when the first time you thought about the priesthood, and then what were any, like, significant catalysts for you responding to this call? Sure, yeah. Um, so, I uh, I grew up Catholic. Um and I grew up going to Mass every Sunday, pretty much every Sunday. Um, and so we were definitely, my family was consistent with that, uh, and it was a big part of our lives. Um, but I never had any thoughts of the priesthood growing up that I can remember at all. Um, and, you know, I, I um, was going to CCD classes, I was going to Mass, but outside of that, and I was praying, I guess, every once in a while, um, but I really didn't have... Uh, much of a spiritual life and um, much of a connection with God that I felt. Um, And I I didn't think about the priesthood too much growing up. So it really didn't come about until later. Um, I guess really it it was for the first time in college. Um, I had struggles with the faith earlier on of, um, first of all, I just kind of wanted to do my own thing. Um, But also I had like intellectual questions about the faith, and um, I, I just wasn't satisfied with the answers that I found. I really wasn't searching hard enough, but um, but I, I wasn't satisfied with it. So I just didn't really have an understanding of the faith. I didn't understand God, um, and so I just kind of felt alienated from it. So I slowly fell away, but then in college I started coming back, um, originally through a philosophy that I was studying, and um, I came across St. Thomas Aquinas eventually about halfway through college, I think in my junior year. And uh, when I came across him then, he, he really answered all the questions about the faith that I had. Uh, he showed me how rational the faith was and uh, how much faith and reason work together, uh, how beautifully they work together. And, um, and that really the faith was, I looked at it as like a, before like a constriction of the mind or a restriction of the mind. And then with St. Thomas, I realized like how much stepping into the faith really enlarges your mind and expands your horizons um, and your understanding of the world. And so with him, I found like a coherent worldview, and I, I just fell in love with um, yeah the Catholic way of seeing the world, the, the, you know, the, the truth of the faith. And um, once that happened then, uh, you know, my, my will kind of followed. So then I started returning to prayer. Um, I was going to Mass and uh, started going back to confession. Um, And the more that I stuck to just frequenting the sacraments and especially prayer, 
um, and those two together. Then the more that I, I started having thoughts about the priesthood, and it was for the first time, but uh, kind of came on quickly of, um, you know, with the things that I was interested in with the faith and um, the desire that I had to learn more about it and to go deeper into it in my life uh, just led to the question coming up, you know, what about the priesthood? Um, and so fairly quickly after that, uh, I discerned the call to um, diocesan priesthood because for me it was something to kind of be on the front lines of the church and, um, you know, to be most involved with the people. Um, and I wanted to be in a parish and just a lot of things about it appealed to me. So, um, yeah, so that it started unfolding my junior year. And then by the uh, second half of my senior year, I was applying to the seminary and um, yeah, and then started last year and, and I've been super happy and, and the most fulfilled I've been ever since. So, yeah. Oh, praise God. And, and, uh, and, and just, uh, uh, just maybe kind of put a plug in for the church's intellectual life. Cause I think a lot of people out there, they don't understand how rich the, our, our intellectual tradition is. We, 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 you know, we, we're not, uh, slackers in any way when it comes to the, to the intellectual life. And there's a lot of just you know, really powerful, strong um, insights that we have, uh, you know, that comes from philosophy and theology and, and, and our enthusiasm for science and, and that type of thing. A lot of times people think, oh, yeah, they, they, to become religious, you have to disregard reason. To, to become religious, you have to disregard, you know, science and that type of thing. So just, you know, especially since your journey had that kind of strong intellectual component, can you just kind of give a, a, a little plug for the church's intellectual life? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I mean, first of all, I didn't know anything about um, you know, the, the doctors of the church, a lot of the great saints um, that were just absolutely brilliant growing up. So um, I didn't have any understanding of it. And what I thought I knew about the church was um, just a total, um, you know, mischaracterization of it. And um, yeah, I thought that faith was something irrational um, and that it was something you just kind of had to say, like, what am I willing to believe against reason? Um, so yeah, for that reason, I, 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 um, I just wasn't very attracted to the faith and I couldn't find a lot of the answers, but, uh, really one of the people that started opening it up to me, the intellectual, uh, heritage of the church was Bishop Robert Barron. Um, I remember watching a good amount of his videos on YouTube and, uh, especially the ones on St. Thomas, he would go through and, um, he just laid out the faith in such a rational way that it was, um, it was very compelling and I could see, um, how wrongly I was looking at the church and really that when I was open to it, uh, how much um, of a rich tradition that that opened up. So, uh, and then with St. Thomas Aquinas especially, um, I didn't realize, I mean, he was just, he's got to be one of the most brilliant men to ever live. So, um, yeah, I was just very compelled by that, that, that the church has so many great doctors, um, great thinkers. And um, yeah, the more that I, I started learning about that, um, the more that I just realized that the church has so much more than that I was aware of. And um, really, you know, it has enough that, that you could spend uh, many, many lifetimes trying to, to, to delve into it. So uh, I was very excited by that. And um, yeah, just opened up my horizons for it. Yeah, yeah, so praise God. Well, this is the Vocation Hour. Uh, I'm Father Delacy, the host of the show. If you hear something compelling, especially in one of these uh, 
great vocation stories and, and, and you're a man that's considering a call to the priesthood, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can get my contact information at heedthecall.org. That's www.heedthecall.org. You can also find out great information about the discernment groups we have going um, and, and other discernment opportunities. I'm, I'm always a phone call away to set up an appointment and, uh, and would love to kind of meet with you and talk with you. So, uh, well, God is so good, and, and we're continuing to, to hear about, about uh, Sam in particular, his, uh, his vocation. Now, uh, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're now engaged with the Labore Society, is that true? That's right, yeah. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be working with them um, to help. Uh, I, I had a lot of student debt from college, so, um, so yeah, so I'll be fundraising with them, and they're a great organization, yeah, yeah. So, and, and just to put the plug, so, the, you know, one of the biggest um, um, obstacles to vocations today is almost every single senior graduating for co- from high school is told you need to get a college education. And, and in and of itself, college is very good. But the nature of education today is, like, education is extremely expensive. And a lot of times, the, you know, the, the guidance counselors in high schools and counselors in, in college are just saying, yeah, you're young. Go ahead and acquire all this debt. Um, and, and you're going to be fine. Eventually, you can pay it off and that type of thing. And, and a lot of times, the, what individuals are studying in, that doesn't automatically translate into great paychecks when they graduate. Um, or in Sam's case, where he just graduated, but the call was manifesting at that point. You know, he, he would have had to work a number of years to work to pay down his student loan debt, uh, which then would have been halting his response to God and the call. And so really the, the goal is for us to kind of free our, our, our young men for the priesthood and young men and women for religious life to be able to respond to the call at that moment that God is actually calling them. Um, and But student loans can throw things off pretty profoundly. And, and I, I know before I, we connected with the Library Society as the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, there would be individuals that were just like, you would be a great candidate, but you know like the job that you have right now it's going to take you the next 10 years to pay down your student loan debt because the archdiocese can't afford to just assume it and that's not our policy uh to do that in any any way and so you know because of that like you come back in 10 years when you pay it down and and i do believe that if we don't respond to our vocations in a timely manner we can absolutely lose our vocations and so that, that's a dangerous game that a lot of people play that they're just like oh they keep putting it off um and we can lose it so uh, long story short, then, to just put this plug in, um, if, if you would be interested in helping Sam, because as a seminarian now, God bless you, he also has to engage in um, you know, the paying off of his student loan debt. Um, if you want to connect with Sam, it's a great thing. Like There's a, a, a personal relationship that you end up forming with the, the seminarian that, that is doing fundraising, and, uh, and there's a powerful connectedness that you maintain while they, they go through their seminary formation, and, and you're part of the celebration at some level of when, you know, God willing, if he is ordained. It's, it's such a, a wonderful dynamic. So if you want to support Sam, please reach out to me at the vocation office, heedthecall.org. And, and, and you know you can get my email address or give a call and mention that I want to support that seminarian that's connected to the Library Society. A one more side note, they're very prudent. Because as everyone knows, and as we were very enthusiastic to share, you know going through the seminary is a discernment process. So uh, the natural question is, well, what happens if I give this money and myself and other good people in the church, we pay off someone's student loan debt by our generosity? What happens then if they're not called to the priesthood? They just get, you know, to pay off their free student loan debt. 
Um, and and couldn't that you know you know kind of incur you know some people that maybe aren't discerning a call to the priesthood for the best reasons to to do that if they can get their student loan debts taken care of? How do we avoid all that? And so the Library Society is very prudent. Um, if someone does the fundraising, then you know it's their student loan debt is paid down over the course of of up to three years. And so, you know, it's, it's then what, what happens is that does, you know, in the, in the instance of somebody that says after the first year, you know, I'm discerning out, well, all those monies then that were raised gets applied to somebody else. So it really is helping vocations. And, and we want to be enthusiastic for guys to have the freedom to leave the seminary too. We don't want them to feel locked in because like, oh, I guess I can't leave because I had all this help with my student loan debt. So it's it's a prudent, very balanced, you know, and I'm happy to interact with anyone, but uh, we, we could use some help for some people that would, uh, would would support Sam and walk with him. And, you know, Sam, you, you could be helped by somebody that could give as little as $10 or also obviously somebody that could give $10,000 would be helpful as well. But, <laughs> but you know, don't, don't worry about the, the amount, but, you know, we just need people that can walk with you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Father. Yeah, I'm I'm very grateful to to any and all support and um, yeah, and to the Laboratory Society, just doing great work and uh, excited that I that I can respond to God's call promptly uh, through the through this. So yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it really is a dynamic way to give to it. And again, that you get a chance to meet Sam personally, and and he's a pretty cool guy. He's got an awesome beard, so you get a chance to. <laughs> uh, to to see that so um anyway well you are listening to the vocation hour i'm father Lacey, the host of the show and uh, a lot of good things we're still in the midst of vocation awareness week so lots of graces happening in that regard please pray for vocations uh whatever you can do um please join the vocation office we're in the midst of a bible novena and you can join at any time a lot of graces when you when the word of god is proclaimed power goes forward right the same word of god that when god spoke Creation came into being when he said, let there be light. There was light. We hear the power of the word of God every time we celebrate Mass. When we hear, this is my body, and boom, that bread changes into the body of Jesus. This is my blood. Boom, that that wine changes into the blood of Jesus. So the power of God's word and to proclaim God's word so boldly is so amazing. And so, um, you know, by the time of the recording, we just had the feast day of St. Jerome who said that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Every single Catholic should read the entire Bible at some point in your life. And this Bible novena is the vocation office on the heedthecall.org website, also on Philly Priest, our Facebook page, where we're proclaiming the entire gospel, the entire Bible from cover to cover. There's other ways to do it. We're choosing by the cover to cover. And if you can join with us, you can read along with us at any point. You know, even if you're you're just hearing this for the first time, you're like, oh, "I'm a couple months behind." No worries. It's designed that you could start right now and listen with us and see some great reflections. So hopefully, you can join with the Bible Novena and uh, and and the graces. I think and the power that will go forward from that will bless many vocations. So praise God. Um, you know, we have Charlie now. Charlie, do you want to share with us uh, your vocation story? What were some of the key moments that? were compelling that that um, helped you to, to make this decision. Yeah, um, so I was uh, born and raised Catholic, um, grew up in Doylestown, and um, my relationship with God growing up was basically going to Sunday Mass, and then um, my family would do grace before dinner, and uh, every night before bed, my dad would pray with us, and uh, 
that's something looking back, like at the time I wouldn't have thought it was a big deal, but uh, yeah, that's one of the best gifts my dad ever gave me. He was teaching me how to pray a little bit. Um, so yeah, so growing up, I would uh, that was kind of my prayer life. And then uh, it, was, it didn't really change until I went off to college. Um, I went to Temple University and um, I got involved in the Newman Center there. I just was basically going to Sunday Mass and then would start to go for some of the social events. Um, and my relationship with God was just, uh, it was almost like going to the ATM, right? I would go to Sunday mass and I would thank God and ask for good grades. And that was it. That had basically always been what my prayer life was. Um, and college brings all these new stresses. Like none of my friends from high school are there. I'm trying to fit in, make new friends. And, uh, and it was really a struggle for me in the beginning. And, uh, so I remember uh, we had a spring break mission trip and I went on that trip and I went in the chapel and I just kept praying over and over again, Jesus help me, Jesus help me. And I remember when I left the chapel, it just kind of dawned on me that that was the first time in my life I had ever asked Jesus to help me and not told him what to help me with. Mm. Um, like it was the first time I put him in charge instead of me in charge. And uh, that seemed at the time, and, and it was, like a really big deal for me. Um, so I continued to pray like that um, and talk with the priest there, Father Mahoney. And he kind of taught me how to pray some more. And then um, my junior year, Focus Missionaries came to the campus. And I joined a Bible study, and um, they also taught me ways to pray. So by my senior year, I was praying every day, and it was an actual relationship with Jesus rather than just asking for things. And I was leading a Bible study. Um, and after college, I just loved doing that so much that I uh, started working for Focus and continued to lead Bible studies. Um, I was a missionary for two years at Towson University in Baltimore and then two years at Western Connecticut State in Connecticut. And um, so the last two years when I was at WestCon, um, I was going with it and things were incredible. And um, there was a period of time where we didn't have a chaplain on campus. Um, our chaplain got reassigned, and so we went about two months without a priest. Um, so we had to drive somewhere else for mass, and we couldn't have mass on campus. We couldn't have confessions or adoration. And um, I remember it just being a huge struggle. Um, we were – it was just a huge difficulty for our mission. Like we couldn't um, – it wasn't easy to bring students to mass or confession, adoration, the sacraments. And it, we just felt directionless. So um, around this time, I started to pray every day with the Psalm, uh, Psalm 40. Uh, Burnt offering and sin offering you do not require, but you have given me an open ear. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, thy laws within my heart. And I just remember that really like resonated with me. Like more than anything, I wanted to give God an open ear. And I wanted to do his will. And so while all this was happening, um, we finally got a, a priest chaplain back. And he started doing mass every day, confessions, adoration. He would invite the students for lunch. And all of a sudden, everything changed. Like Bible studies started to explode. Everything was going great. And it hit me like what we were missing wasn't just mass. It wasn't just confession. Like we were missing a father. Mm. And then when this priest came, we had that. Um, and so this was kind of a moment where like my experiences and my prayer were coming together. Um, and so I went back to 
because um, I had always stayed in touch with him. That my chaplain from college, Father Mahoney, and talked with him for a bit, and he recommended uh, reaching out to you, Father DeLacy. And uh, I went on a come and see retreat, and then entered the seminary. And it's been the best decision that I've ever made. Uh, I feel completely at peace. I'm the happiest I've been. Um, and it's just so cool looking back to see that all of those emotions and prayers and experiences were all pointing me towards the way I'm now being fulfilled in the seminary. Mm, praise God. Thank you, Charlie. And, and, and you, you, you share with us your time as, as a focused missionary, four years to two different schools, and, and just how powerful that is. And, and focus is, is such a, a dynamic uh, a dynamic um, you know, mission and apostolate. I know both of you had a powerful experience at, at a, a, a ministry that, that focus puts on called Seek. So could you, could Charlie, could you just kind of, you know, presume that our listeners maybe don't, that, you know, everyone pretty much has heard of focus, but presume that they don't explain what focus is. And then if you could explain what SEEK is, and maybe the two of you could talk about, you know, what happened at SEEK, uh, that, that was just a powerful moment. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so focus is an organization that sends, uh, usually about four missionaries who are post-college grads, um, to, college campuses, two guys and two girls, and their job is really to evangelize. And the way we do that is through small groups, uh, Bible studies, and then discipling students. And the goal is um, to spend like a crazy amount of time with these students, to, be, to develop authentic friendships with them, uh, to introduce them to a relationship with Jesus and his church, and then to equip them to evangelize others. So um, it worked great at both campuses I was at, I had the opportunity to meet students, have them in Bible study, and then take students from that Bible study and teach them how to lead their own Bible study. Um, and that's a way where us as missionaries can bring Jesus to students that we don't even know, that we're not even meeting. Um, and looking at the life of our Lord, like the way he spent radical amounts of time with his disciples, and then the way he sends them out, um, it really seems like personally inviting people to prayer to small groups to know jesus and then equipping them to share that with others is the best way to evangelize and uh so that's primarily what we did with focus and then every other year in january uh we have this big conference called seek which is um it's we gather all the students together it can be like fifteen thousand college students and it's a five-day conference um on going deeper in our catholic faith um, yeah, I don't know, Sam, if you want to share some of your experiences from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was involved with, with the Focus Missionaries on campus uh, in Westchester and um, just got involved with their Bible studies, uh, which were awesome. They, they had a really good group of, of students together um, that, that I could develop friendships with and, um, yeah, just go deeper into the Word of God and... Um, and it was a good group of, of like-minded people. You know, our, our everyone's hearts were were set on on growing closer to Christ, and um, yeah, it was just an awesome group. And it did a lot for me, uh, especially on a campus uh, that I had transferred to. It helped me kind of settle in, and and um, yeah, Focus did did great work there. Yeah, yeah, and then so uh, I think another like thing I loved about Focus too was the idea. Uh, you see in college a lot, like students will 
Like if somebody, if a student wants to be a lawyer someday, he'll be in classes, he'll be in the pre-law society, he'll be in like a few service organizations. He'll be doing everything he can to someday be the best lawyer possible. Um, and so we would say to students like, well, what do you want to, what else do you want to do? Like, do you want to be a husband and father? And like, what are you doing right now to be a good husband or father? Or what are you doing right now to be a good husband or uh, wife or mother someday? And, um, and really like we would say like giving your children the gift of this faith that you've been given is essential to that. Like bringing your spouse to heaven, bringing your family to heaven, um, and so that's why the focus conferences, in my opinion, are so great. Um, because the first and most importantly is being at mass with 15,000 college students, seeing hundreds of priests walk in, all of a sudden you don't feel alone. You don't feel weird. You realize how big and how universal the church is and how actively God is working in everyone's lives. And then to go to different talks about about the priesthood, about dating, about prayer, about discernment, um, and you can really pick and choose the talks you go to. Um, we're all being formed by these great speakers and priests to um, to grow, to be the best, uh, to do what God's calling us to do and be the best priest or sister or husband or father that, or mother or wife that God is calling us to be. And, um, and then the event seek kind of culminates. There's this night where we have confessions and adoration and, uh, it's the only time in my life I've ever heard somebody say, the confession line is too long. The fire marshal says you need to sit down. Because <laughs> we had thousands of people lining up for confession. Uh, so it was an incredible experience. And uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, um, I remember one of the biggest things that stuck out to me from it was, yeah, just the amount of people that were uh, really on fire with the faith there and... Um, you know, being in the larger culture, like sometimes you don't you don't see all those connections. But then to have a massive group of students together that were all, um, you know, just wanted to do the will of God and grow closer to God, um, it was just an awesome experience to see that. And the energy in the room and the and the place was awesome. Um, so that was one of the huge things that stuck out. And then also, um, yeah, the the speakers they brought in amazing speakers. I remember going to uh, Scott Hahn's talk. Um, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers had some great talks, um, and there were just a ton of uh, good ton of good stuff to choose from um, that just helped me a ton with the faith in and in going deeper into it into my life and uh, and becoming more um, more interested in, in some of the, um, the the work or ideas that these people would would bring up so yeah all around it was just an awesome conference and an awesome experience praise god for that and and to, there was a there's a powerful moment with uh with the this one of the sisters that's that's part of salt do you want to talk about that moment because uh, quite frankly literally like like her talk inspired a lot of a lot of movement in the vocation world so did, did, did you guys know what i'm talking about do you want to refer refer to that yeah uh so sister miriam james uh, she gave this talk about, um, she was talking, um, you know, I don't even remember the subject of the talk, but there was this moment where she starts talking about, um, St. Maximilian Kolbe. And, uh, so for those of you who don't know, St. Maximilian Kolbe was a Polish priest who was arrested by Nazi Germany and he was at Auschwitz concentration camp. And, uh, they were calling out names of prisoners to be sent to the starvation chambers. Um, it was a sure death sentence. 
and they called this man who had a family and he started begging he said please no i have a wife and i have children and then saint maximilian colby stepped forward and said um i'm a polish priest take me instead and they did so he uh sacrificed his life for this man and um so in the talk when she's explaining the sacrifice of saint maximilian colby sister paused and basically uh she said like as a bride of christ um I just want to talk to the men for a second. And she talked about how when a priest is ordained, how he's like ontologically changed, how his heart is configured to the heart of Christ and how a priest can love with the heart of Christ in a way that no one else can. And, um, and then she just basically said like, as Christ's bride, like if any of you are feeling called to Jesus, like it's called by jesus to be a priest please say yes um and it was a really powerful moment i know every every guy there that was thinking about sem- i was there i was talking to father de Lacy about entering seminary and it hit me really hard um yeah i don't know if you had the same yeah thing. yeah i remember uh i i felt this way and i remember i talked to some other guys afterwards and everyone just felt like they got like it was just her and and the one you know, and you in the room, like everyone just got called out individually. Uh, it really struck the heart. And, um, yeah, her talk was powerful all around, but especially that moment was, it stood out. And again, like it was like everyone just singularly got kind of called out. And, um, it was a real invitation to, uh, just follow God. If, if he was calling you, um, to the priesthood, I remember that stuck with me a lot. Um, yeah, and especially it really resonated when she was talking about St. Maximilian Kolbe and just the his sacrifice, um, that heroism. You know, I think a lot of guys have, uh, I mean, they find that super appealing. Everybody does, but um, I think a lot of guys, especially with our, our culture today, are looking for um, something to, you know, to, to give their lives to something greater and to have some sort of um, greater mission and and um, and they find the idea of sacrifice really appealing. So I remember that was one of the things from the talk that I was so glad she hit because it, it resonated with me and uh, everyone I talked to, yeah, just loved it. It was a powerful moment. Mm, praise God. And then just for our listeners, too, a lot of times there, there's the movers and shakers for building up a culture for of vocations. And we talked about how powerful, powerful Steubenville conferences are for high school students. And I would say, like, the C conference is is the college student, you know, comparison. It's just every other year. Um, all things being equal, it should be this coming January. I don't know if there's any word if they're, they're doing it or not. I'm guessing the answer is no. Virtually. Oh, they're going to yeah. do it virtually this year. Okay, yeah. so that's better than us. So, so just to keep that on your radar, anyone that's connected then to, um, to a college student, try to get them to kind of connect to this, this conference uh, virtually, and and it's amazing on how powerful um, grace can work. You know, in you know through the virtual world. You know, like there is something that we miss with getting together physically, and there is such a powerful dynamic and energy and enthusiasm that you know, seeing you know you know upwards like over fifteen thousand college students gathered who are on fire and loving our Lord. It's that that's such a powerful witness. So so some of that particular you know experience may not translate but god's grace definitely does 
Um, and so, you know, this anticipate this coming January with the C conference being virtual. It's always connected to the Christmas break. It usually starts at what, like the January second, oftentimes. So, yeah. um, so be looking forward at that time and and try to you know let's try to get all of our college students to connect to Seek in the in the Philadelphia area and the in the New Jersey area uh, as much as possible. It, it can really be transformative and a, and a great experience in that regard. And I know in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Uh, we have several campuses where where focus is, and and it's it, they become then really in some ways our our Catholic Newman centers are better places of formation than even our Catholic colleges. That's not necessarily obvious, but if if you know if you're a college student and you're trying to find a place that will nurture your faith in in the best ways possible, in a, in a lot of situations like going to like. A temple and then connecting to the Newman Center there or going to Westchester connecting to the Newman Center there because they have focused missionaries the the Newman Center at, at Penn and the Newman Center at Drexel they're linked together they have missionaries there so they're doing some phenomenal work I believe Widener through the, the good work of Father uh, Tom Winningham they also have have focused missionaries so there's several places throughout I think so we're up to five campuses with Focus missionaries in the Philadelphia area, so it's easy for us to connect with Focus. So, so praise God. Well, my name is Father DeLacy, and you are listening to the Vocation Hour. I'm the host of the show. If you know, if if you're feeling compelled to to want to connect to Focus somehow, or if you want to help uh, Sam and others who are working with the Laboray Society, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can get to the my contact information through the heedthecall.org. Um, when you come to heedthecall.org, I encourage everyone to do so and sign up for our newsletter. And I believe now that you're being prompted to uh, to, to give us your email for the newsletter as soon as you pop on. Um, then that way you can know all the good dynamic ways that, that we're encouraging vocations. And then you can also know the ways that you can support. First and foremost, we always need prayer. Uh, sometimes we also need financial support and and recruiter support too you know we we provide a lot of great opportunities the thing that we keep hearing about is like well why didn't you tell people about this and and we need help with people like yourself that will know what we're doing and help to get the word out about what we're doing so uh heed the easiest way to get in touch with with me and 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 find out the the good things that we're doing well guys this has been a dynamic show so we're about at the 10 minute mark um, and I wanted to, to touch base. Both of you have just finished the, the spiritual year. So maybe each of you can kind of give like a little four-minute testimony-ish about, you know, what the impact of the spiritual year has been for you personally. So, Sam, do you want to start off with that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the spiritual year was a great year. Um, I think there are a lot of things that stand out for it, and it, it did a ton for, for my life as a, as a Catholic and as a seminarian. Um, but I think one of the things that, that comes to mind right away is we would have a daily holy hour um, with Eucharistic adoration um, every day in the morning. That was always the first thing in the day. And um, it had really in the schedule, I would say, like along with the Mass, just a, a priority of place. Um, and so to have my life really formed around Jesus in the Eucharist, um, especially in those holy hours and then also at Mass, um, and to start each day with that just worked wonders for me with, um, you know, growing closer to Christ um, and also just in, in discernment, too, and in, in listening, um, you know, more to, to where he was calling me and uh, learning how to follow him better and closer. Um, 
yeah, the holy hours were a huge thing, and and through that, I uh, really was able to grow in prayer, uh, learn how to pray with scripture more, how to meditate, and um, yeah, to be able to to spend that hour in prayer in just a really rich way, um, you know, uh, always close with Christ. Um, so that was a huge thing for me that that stands out from the spiritual year is just the growth from the holy hours, uh, and then I would also say we had some great classes. Um, it was it was more laid back because we actually didn't have to worry about uh, tests for the year, um, just kind of lecture style. But we would have uh, two hours of class a day, and um, and the classes were, were just great content. We had one class uh, that really sticks out is a history of Christian spirituality uh, with Father Carbonero, who's here at the seminary. Um, and that class was awesome, um, just learning about the spiritual tradition of the church and. Um, and yeah, just the, the progression of it throughout time. Um, I learned a ton from that class, and it also uh, just pointed me in different directions, gave me different um, kind of desires of, of you know what particular way I felt called to maybe uh, pray, um, and uh, kind of figuring out a little more of my own spirituality better. Um, so that was awesome, and it was a highlight. Um, Overall, uh, those things for the daily schedule stand out, but overall for the year, uh, the big things were we had a poverty immersion in the winter. Um, so we all went and um, we're doing some sort of work with the poor and kind of living as, as much as we could uh, the lifestyle of the people that we were working with, um, and in some cases living with. Um, and so that was, that was an awesome experience um, of being... Um, yeah, of just of just living that life and uh, having that trust in God's providence really to provide for us. Um, it was kind of a radical, you know, going out in pairs and um, and just trusting God to guide us through the experience. And so that that was for a month. Um, and then the last two things I would say, uh, we had the um, a retreat right after that, which was great. We did a five day retreat, um, and then we tailed the year. Uh, capped it off with a 30-day silent retreat, uh, which was really intense, really rich, uh, very challenging, but also very rewarding. Um, and it was just a great cap to the year. So um, yeah, all those things stand out. And uh, I'd be in a much different place today if I didn't have the spiritual year. It was just, um, um, yeah, a very important year for me and led to a lot of great, great growth. Praise God. Charlie? Here. Yeah. Uh, I love the spiritual year. So one priest described it to me as um, he used the analogy of like the spiritual year can be like cataract surgery, like removing anything that prevents us from seeing Christ. Um, and I love that because during the year, like one of the first things that really hit me was uh, we had a media fast. So we didn't have our phones at all during the week, like no computers, no TV. Um, and then every night at 9 p.m. we'd have grand silence. So we weren't talking. And we also had like a, I think it's called a consumption fast where we didn't spend any money during the week so we couldn't go buy things. Um, and all of those things just right away, it was just taking away things, not because they're bad, but to focus on Christ. Um, and so taking those things away and then adding in things like holy hour, mass, classes about prayer and the sacraments, like all of those um just like focused us on the most important thing which is christ and then um one of the biggest blessings for me during the year was um we have our apostolates they're on tuesdays on the spiritual year 
and I would go to Einstein Montgomery Hospital in uh, Norristown or East Norridan, I think technically, and uh, and that was such a cool experience for me. Um, this was pre-pandemic. I would go to all the rooms and uh, just visit with people, um, talk with them about the their faith, about uh, their suffering, and uh, it was really it helped me grow so much. Um, I had never really experienced spent much time in a hospital or anything um but just realizing like how rewarding it was for me to just be present with people in those moments um and i think it was like phenomenal formation for me um and then of course the poverty immersion like sam talked about and the 30-day retreat was an incredible experience of uh growing closer to the lord um i would say the one other experience that was probably not planned for the spiritual year was uh when the pandemic hit towards the end of the year, we had to go home. And so um, I was living at home with my family and then would go uh, to the rectory at my parish uh, pretty often to uh, go to mass or help them. And so over like late spring, or early summer, I ended up doing a lot of work at the parish, um, all sorts of random odds and ends jobs, whether it was like weed eating the grass or helping with the funeral records or moving furniture, um, whatever it was though, it was, uh, it was a huge blessing to be able to serve my home parish at that time during the pandemic when like, um, when a lot of nor the regular help couldn't come in, um, and just to spend time with the priest there. So that ended up being like a blessing coming out of obviously the struggle of not being able to be at the seminary during that time. Yeah, no, no, so that's such a such a challenge and, and that type of thing, and so well, praise God, we are um, right up against the uh, the end here. Uh, two great guys here. Thank you so much for your yes and for your enthusiasm for life in the seminary and that type of thing. What words of advice would you give to 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 anyone discerning at one level, but then in particular a guy who's thinking about the priesthood? Um, for me, I would recommend. Um Prayer, regular confession, um, those two things are always essential. And then um, for me, two big things were praying with scripture, um, like really just praying with scripture every day as much as I could, especially the Psalms, and then um, talking to a priest you know and trust. Um, and that, for me, just helped me to make it more real, to, to have a priest I know and trust who was able to encourage me or help me through a lot of the questions was huge for me. So those would be my two things. Nice. Yeah, I'd say um, definitely uh, prayer is an absolute necessity. Um, and then frequenting the sacraments, I think especially uh, going to confession very regularly would be super helpful. Um, I know it was really helpful to me. And um, I think one of the things I would say uh, would be to... Um, one of the things that, that's, that's emphasized here at the seminary and that's just proven to be so true is um, to focus on relationship with God and then from that, uh, you know, we have a better, um, the truth of our identity comes forward and then from that, um, you know, the mission that God gives us, our vocation becomes more clear and um, yeah, throughout, throughout the last, you know, year or so at the seminary, that's proven to be really true. So I think just focusing on things kind of in that order um, you know, 
um, trying to, to grow closer to God and just trusting that through that it's going to become more clear. So not to put too much pressure on just figuring it out in your own head, but uh, growing closer to God and kind of letting it unfold. Great news. Well, praise God. Well, thank you both so much for being on the show. Um, you know, if I can help anyone in their discernment in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. My name is Father DeLacy. I'm the uh, vocation director for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. I can help any one of our, our New Jersey listeners to connect with their local vocation director, too. Um, and uh, I, the good news is vocations are out there. God is calling them. And, uh, and if we can kind of continue to work uh, towards a, a culture of vocations, uh, you know, through, through prayer, through support, through the good formation of other people, then we're going to see a powerful flourishing. So, well, God bless you. I look forward to seeing everyone next, uh, next month. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, may God continue to bless you and bless you as you discern your own vocation. Uh, may you come to know what, the, what God's mission is for your life. And may you have the strength and courage to follow that mission. God bless you. You could and you shouted Broke through my death This now I'm breathing And breathing out I'm alive again You shattered my darkness Washed away my blindness Now I'm breathing And breathing Searched for you What took me so long I was looking outside As a flower